Would you stand with me? And we're going to just read these. I'm going to read these first four verses together uh, for you, if you'd follow along in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. And, uh, and these are good verses. So, Colossians 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, now remember, this is Paul writing to Christians in Colossae, okay? So this isn't, he's not just talking to everybody here. He's talking to those who consider themselves children of God. They belong to Jesus Christ. He says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power, let heaven fill your thoughts. Isn't that a great phrase? Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. That's what we're looking forward to someday, sharing in all his glory. Would you pray with me, please? Father, open our hearts and our minds to understand and just to be, to be hungry for these truths and not just to, to hear them, but, Father, that they would become our reality. I just give this time to you that you would teach us in Jesus' name, amen. You may sit down. I was, uh, any of you read the book Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson? A few of you. He tells the story when he was a little kid at his grandpa's farm and when they, when, when they went to, when he'd go to his grandpa's farm and would arrive there, his grandpa had this yappy little dog. And being just a little kid, it scared him to death, this little dog. And so when he and his father and uh, brother would walk up to his grandpa's place and this little yappy dog would come running out, he would take off running because it scared him to death. He never noticed that his dad and brother didn't, they didn't move. And consequently, who did the yappy little dog run after? Him. As he ran, this yappy little dog was having a great time, running after him, chasing him, scared him, scared him to death. And so he tells this time where they arrived, and this yappy little dog comes running out. And immediately, he starts off running, and there's a tractor there, so he jumps up on top of the tractor to get away from this dog. And there he is, you know, his grandpa, his dad, his little brother, standing there, not being bothered at all by this yappy little dog. But there he was on top of this tractor, and this little dog just yap, yap, and away at him, and him scared to death on top of the tractor. All of a sudden, you know, it kind of dawned on him at that point, you know, I can't stay on top of this tractor the rest of my life. So after several minutes of... Getting, getting up his courage, he, he jumped down off the tractor and he 
kicked a little rock at the dog. And the dog took off running. <laughs> and he realized that all along there was nothing to be afraid of. I mean, this little dog was way more afraid of him than he was afraid of this little dog. But as long as he thought that the little dog was something to be afraid of, <laughs> that little dog had amazing power over him. I want you to, to notice, we're just going to look at this, this passage this morning. Four times in this passage, there's a word mentioned, and this is the heart of what we're going to talk about this morning. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. The word real is in there, okay? Set your sights on the realities of heaven. And then it goes on and says, don't think about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died, and your, what is it? Real life is hidden with Christ and God, and when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. I'm sorry, three times. That word real is the heart of what we're going to talk about this morning. And this is the question I want you to think about. Are you living in reality this morning? Or, 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 or today, or tomorrow, or yesterday? Are we living, are you living in reality? A lot of us who call ourselves Christians think about heaven as a future reality. Okay? Someday I'm going to go to heaven. And as it says here, share in all of his glory. And, and we solely think of heaven as a future destiny or reality. But the amazing thing about this passage, these few verses, is that the heart of what heaven is to be for us isn't just a future destiny, but this is the key word here, a present identity. Heaven is to fill our thoughts. The reality of heaven, the reality that we really are in Christ, that our real life is hidden with Christ in God, and that that is our life, that is our reality. But how many of us live every day? And I tell you, this was, was kind of a battle for me, studying this and thinking about this, because as I study this, I realize how much of my reality is not heaven. It's the garbage of this world. And how much of how I live is dominated not by heaven and the realities of heaven, but by the the realities of this world. It's all real. Where is your reality this morning? Is it heaven or is it earth? Could it be that most of us are not really living in reality, the reality that is ours as those who belong to Jesus, but we're living in deception? We're living as this, as if the way things are is the way things are, and that's all that there is. We're not dominated by the reality of who we are. You see what these verses, I'm going to read these verses again. Just notice it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. 
But how many of us slug and slog day by day by day as if the reality that was ours and what was only ours was just the garbage and the guck of what life is. And we fail to live as if we really are raised to new life with Christ. Where Christ sits at God's right hand in a place of honor and power. So what is your reality? I want you to think about that a little bit this, right now. What is your reality? Is your reality how you grew up? Is that what dominates your reality? The stuff that's happened to you? The stuff that happened to you? Is that what dominates your reality? The way you were treated, the things that were done to you, the decisions you were made, is that your reality? Some people would say, you know, well, you made your bed, now you've got to lie in it. Is that your reality? Feeling that uh, the things that happen to you and the choices you made, that's who you are? Is that your reality? Is that what, by your reality, I mean what dominates your, your thinking, your words, your actions, your choices? Is that your reality? Um, the Bible says that what you... So you reap. Is your reality dominated by what you've sown in your life? One of the concepts that dominates our world, and maybe it dominates some of your all thinking, is your reality dominated by something called karma. As if something that had been done to supposedly you in a previous life, is that what you're paying for now? What's your reality? What dominates your choices and your actions and your thoughts and your decisions? Your reality. We need to think then again this, about this phrase. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Now that sounds like a really cool phrase, right? But what does it really mean? What does that mean? The realities of heaven. I mean, if, if that's our reality, what does that mean? I have an idea that if I walked up to most of you and I said, what's the reality of heaven? You'd probably say, well, um, cool. I mean, so that's what we're going to do really quickly this morning. We're going to talk about what are the realities of heaven why we should set our sights on the realities of heaven, how that can happen, and then what the results should be for us, okay? What are the realities of heaven? If you turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, please. Revelation 21. It's the last book in the Bible, if that helps. Second to the last chapter. Revelation 21. We're going to look at the first, start at the first verse. Revelation 21. Now just enjoy these verses, okay? These are great verses. But as we're reading them, I want you to think, these are the realities of heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. This is a vision of the future, okay? 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will remove all of their sorrows and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain, for the old world and its evils are gone forever. That's the reality of heaven right now. And that's the reality that we look forward to, those of us who belong to Jesus, as our future destiny, our eternal destiny. What does that mean for us? It says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. What does this have to do with us right now? Well, think of it. Heaven is a place where there's no what? There's no sickness. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no disease in heaven. There's no death in heaven. There's no addictions in heaven. There's no demonic oppression in heaven. There's no anxiety in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's no deception in heaven. Sin in heaven. There's no sense of helplessness or hopelessness in heaven. There's no fear. There's no condemnation in heaven. There's no lies in heaven. Not like a nice place to be. I think that's why hell's going to be the opposite of that. And all of those things that are going to be absent from heaven, all of that, that anxiety and that fear and that oppression and depression and hopelessness, that's going to be eternal hell separated from God but this is heaven the realities of heaven so why should we set our sights what does it mean to set our sights on the realities of heaven I want you to think back to something that Jesus taught his disciples way back at the beginning beginning of his ministry if you want to turn there it's in Matthew chapter 6 Matthew chapter 6 Verse 936 in the book. What did I say? Sorry, 936 page, sorry. Stick with me, don't get distracted so easily. 936. This is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray like this, Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your name be set apart, holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Why should we set our sights on the realities of heaven. I think from the Lord's Prayer, we, we set our sights on the realities of heaven because this is what Jesus wants for us and this is what God's desire is for us is that what is done in heaven would also be what's done on earth. Now, how is that possible? Well, we get a glimpse from it and I just, just think for me a second. When Jesus came, he and he arrived on earth and he gave himself to John's baptism. 
that all righteousness would be accomplished. And then he began calling disciples to himself. He said, the kingdom of heaven is here. What did he mean? He meant that he was the king and he'd arrived to take back his kingdom. And what we see as Jesus walked the face of this earth, it says he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came as the king to bring back his kingdom and to claim back the territory that was his, us. And how did he demonstrate that? He demonstrated that by demonstrating that he was king. And so we see him walking on water. We see him him calming the winds and the wave and his disciples saying, wow, even the winds and the waves are subject to him. He demonstrated that he was king over nature. He demonstrated that he was king over the devil and all his demonic hordes by casting out legions of demons and freeing demonically oppressed people so that people would say, and, and the demons would cry out saying, why are you here, son of God, to torment us? They knew who he was. And he demonstrated his authority and his power as king over the demonic hordes. He demonstrated his power and authority as king over sickness as he healed lepers and as he gave sight to the blind and, he's, and, 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 and helped the lame and the crippled to walk. Go ahead, we'll wait. <laughs> He showed that he was king over sickness and disease by healing. He showed he was king over sin by forgiving sins. Remember the time when the person was lowered into the house through the hole and who was crippled and Jesus looked at him. What, what did he say? He didn't say, take up your bed and walk. The first thing he said was, your sins are forgiven. And then he told him to take up his bed and walk as a demonstration that he had power over sin. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. And and the widow of Nain, whose son was dead and lying on that pallet, and they were taking him out to be buried, he raised him from the dead. He demonstrated in every way that he was king. King over disease and king over death and king over sin and king over demons and king over nature in every way. He was the king who had come to take back his kingdom. And then what did he do? He went back to heaven. No, he didn't. If he had at that point gone back to heaven, he would have been the king who had demonstrated himself to be king, but he would have no kingdom. Because what had happened to his kingdom, way back in Genesis chapter 3, the devil came and usurped his kingdom, deceived Adam and Eve, and they gave in to the devil's lies, and the devil became the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. So the whole reason Jesus came back wasn't just to demonstrate he was king, but it was to reclaim his kingdom. And so what did he do? I want you to go back to Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to highlight... Some verses in chapters 1 and 2. I'm just going to kind of go through it quickly to demonstrate some of the verses we've already looked about at in Colossians 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He rescued us 
from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God purchased our freedom with Jesus' blood and has forgiven all of our sins. And so the king who came to demonstrate that he was king came to reclaim his kingdom, and he did it by purchasing our freedom with his blood on the cross. Look at, slipping down to verse 22, it says, As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Verse 26, excuse me, verse 27, For it pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Then back up to chapter up to chapter two, verse three. In him, in Christ, lie all lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse ten, chapter two. You are complete through your union with Christ. He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. <coughs> verse twelve. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Verse 13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But God made you alive. He forgave your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. (coughs) He took it. He destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. And in verse 15, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. And so in verse 20, chapter 2, it says, You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the evil powers of this world. That's Colossians. And that's what Christ our King came to do when he came to claim back his kingdom. He paid the ransom. He purchased our freedom. He canceled the debt. He took away demonic and uh, the devil's authority. And he did it for all of us as if we ourselves had done it. He did it as our substitute. And so when we come to Colossians chapter 3, how did he do it and what does it mean for us when it says we've died with Christ, we're raised to new life with Christ? That means our real life, that's what it says here, is in Christ. Christ is our life. Our real life is Christ. And where is Christ? Now he's in heaven. After he died and rose and conquered sin and purchased our freedom and disarmed the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, he now sits in heaven, it says, above all rule and authority, principalities, power, every authority that there is, Christ sits as king. And that's our life. That's our reality. That's what it's saying here in Colossians 3. That is our reality. (coughs) Forgiven, free, and all authority in heaven and on earth is ours in Christ, who is our life. Well, we live a different kind of reality, don't we? I mean, we slug and slog through life as if we weren't free, as if we weren't forgiven, as if we had no authority, as if we had no power, as if we were just these impotent pawns in the hands of the world and all of its deception, all of its lies, as if 
we were just impotent individuals who can't do anything with the temptations that come our way and the accusations that come our way, whether it's from individuals or whether it's from the world or whether it's from the devil and all the darts he throws our way. We live as if our reality was just to slug and slog through life and just fall on our faces and be failures and be frustrated and So when he conquered death, according to Colossians 3, it's like we conquered death. When he was raised to new life, it's like we were raised to new life because our identity is in Christ. Do you see that? That's why when it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits. The reality of Christ, the reality of heaven, is our reality. So the things that we accept as reality are lies so so much of the time. They're deceptions, they're lies from the enemy, they're lies from the world, they're lies from the lusts that come our ways that we give into. They don't have to be our reality. Our reality is in Christ. If we have died with Christ and we're raised with Christ, it's our reality. His position of authority is ours. I want to read one more verse. The last chapter of Matthew, Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 8, 28, verse 18. Just before Jesus, after he died and rose, and just before he returned to heaven, these were his last words. Matthew 28, 18, page 971. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. That's not a question. That's a, that's a, that's a statement. Just before Jesus returned to heaven, he came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. That's Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is your reality this morning? Well, for some of you here this morning, your reality is exactly what it seems like to you. Because you're still in your sin, meaning you're still in the kingdom of darkness that Jesus came to purchase our freedom from and transfer us out of. You still are in your sins. You're still under the domination and the deception and the power of the enemy of darkness. That's your reality because that's where you are. And so your struggle against sin, your struggle against the temptations of this world, your struggle against all these things that we talked about Demonic oppression, depression, hopelessness, deception, fear, condemnation, anxiety. Those, that is your reality. 
But the good news is that Jesus came to deliver us from that reality and to give us a new reality in him. In his death and in his resurrection, he forgave all of our sins. He canceled our debt. He disarmed the enemies, the demonic authorities. And our reality is heaven. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 3. Our reality, for those of us who belong to Christ, who believe in the death and resurrection of Christ and what he did for us, our reality is heaven. It's where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father in the place of honor and authority. That's our reality. Now, I know what most of you are thinking, or maybe all of you are thinking. It's what I struggle with in my thinking when I read this and when I think about this is, no way. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't it true? Is, is it so hard for us to believe that what I talked about this morning, that that's reality? We have so got in our, we have so been lied to, we have so believed the lies of this world, we've so believed the lies of the devil that we believe that reality is the way it is and that's all it's going to be, that we're just going to keep falling on our faces, we're just going to keep failing, we're just going to keep being dominated by, by the lies and the temptations and the, and the attacks of the enemy. We're just going to keep failing, we're going to keep, it's just the way it is. We have so been lied to, we don't know what reality is. Those of us who belong to Jesus. I think that's why Jesus said so many times when he taught the people when he lived on this earth, and it's a phrase that you should recognize. He started by saying, in the old King James, it says, verily, verily. I think in more modern translations, it says, truly, truly. I think in the New, American, New International, it might say, I tell you the truth. And they all are saying the same thing. It's Jesus. Every time he spoke, he says, this is reality. What I am telling you is the truth. It is reality. It can be your reality if you are in me. And my life is in you. And your real life is my life. Oh, we so easily give in to the lies of the enemy. And that's all he has is lies. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says the, the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And how does he devour us? How does he make us impotent and ineffective and, and constantly falling on our, our faces and frustrated? How does he do that? It's the roar. That's how the lion kills its prey, is by the roar. He paralyzes them and then he can kill them. And that is all the power that the enemy has for those of us who belong to Christ. It's the lie. It's the deception. It's the lies. It's the lies of this world. Our hope is in the truth of who we are in Christ. That's reality. His reality is our reality. His authority is our authority. His life is our life. And that's why it simply says in Colossians chapter 3, let heaven fill your thoughts. Let heaven fill your thoughts. I tell you, I was so grieved. I was talking to somebody a few days ago that I love, and, and I was so grieved when I realized that it wasn't heaven who filled this individual's thoughts, but it was the thoughts of this world. And this individual who belongs to Christ's life is dominated by frustration and despair and hopelessness and defeat because 
their thoughts are filled with the thoughts of this world. The things of this earth, the lies of the enemy, the, the words that come from the world and all of it from, and all the ways that they, it comes. Their thoughts aren't filled with the thoughts of heaven. Their thoughts aren't filled with this book and the truth that's in this book and who they are in Christ. And if heaven does not fill our thoughts, the realities of heaven will not dominate our lives. It's the way it is. Jesus died and rose and ascended to the place of all power and authority that we might see the kingdom of heaven come to earth. Bits of it here and there in our lives as, as the king lives in us and as his reality becomes our reality, it can be like little bits of heaven walking around Bremerton and Kitsap County and Tacoma and wherever, wherever we are until ultimately we share in all of his glory. That's the hope of heaven, all of his glory. But until then, our Father who is in heaven, your name is holy, May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, in my life, at the coffee oasis, in the shipyard, in the schoolroom, in my home, in my neighborhood. Your kingdom come, your will be done wherever I am as it is in heaven. That's, that's, that's what God made us for. That's what Jesus redeemed, was raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven for not for us to live in some kind of distorted, destructive, deceptive reality, but that the heaven, the reality of heaven, might be ours in daily life. Isn't that amazing? That's what the king came back for. That's what the king died for. That's what the king rose for. Went back to heaven for, that we might experience that reality. That's truth. That's reality. After I pray and as we sing some more songs, I'd like to encourage any of you who, you know, maybe God has challenged you through these words. Maybe some of you here this morning know that the reality I've talked about isn't your reality because you're still in your sin and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to ask Pat if you'd be kind of back there and maybe in that room back there and Daniel up here and and if anybody would like, if you, if you know you don't know Christ, you don't belong to Christ, but you want heaven's reality to be your reality, I'd encourage you to talk to Daniel or Pat, pray with them afterwards, and let heaven's reality become your reality. If you belong to Christ and you're slugging through life and, and believing Satan's deceptions and you want to be free from those things, you know, let them pray with you and pray for you that you can be freed from the lies and the deceptions of the enemy and experience the realities of heaven. I'd encourage you to take this time to pray. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, I know from personal experience that it is it's just way easier to believe the lies than it is the truth. Because the lies so often seem to be the truth because we're depressed. And so it just seems that that's what the truth is. We seem hopeless. We feel hopeless. We seem that's what the truth is. Because the devil, through his roars and lies, has done such a good job of convincing us of the lies. 
when the truth is there for us to believe. Oh, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes to the truth that we've, we've learned again this morning and that the realities of heaven, the realities of Christ, would become our reality. Father, I just pray for us in your Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.